I solemnly swear that I shall keep the secrets of the Moore's Mortis Society, revealing nothing I learn, nor any names of fellow members to outsiders, even on pain of death. Hello, once again, and welcome back to the Remedial Magic Podcast, a podcast where I, Brady, have still not felt awkward a single time doing the intro. And by that I mean I feel awkward every single time I do the intro. Um, joining me, as always, are my good friend Delver and my brother Baylor. And welcome back, guys. We're here again in the basement and in our parents' house, depending on who you are, to talk about this wonderful book called Alexander Quick and the Lands. Below, specifically chapters six to eight of Alexander Quick and the Lands Below. How's everybody doing? Good. I have never felt better in my entire life. Well, that's great to hear. I'm also doing well. I have a little bit of a stuffy nose, but you know, that's just the things you deal with as a human being. And more importantly, right off the top, I wanted to uh, make a recommendation to both of you. And the fans, if I may. Okay, I might have one as well. Alright, well, my recommendation doesn't really apply to you, Delbert, but nonetheless, I would make a recommendation to not go see the newest Jurassic Park movie. What a twist. That was also my recommendation. We went to that, what was it, last night? Yeah. Was it last night? No. Two nights ago. Two nights ago. It was horrible. It was terrible. I am sad to hear that. It was <laughs> not good. However, in nicer news, my mom and some friends went and saw it in 3D and said it was okay. Well, good for them. Yeah. So maybe the 3D carries it? There's <laughs> I, no way. I don't think so, but maybe. Obviously, I'm not going to give any spoilers here. And Baylor, you should go see it if you want to, because it is a cool dinosaur movie. It's like, the dinosaurs is awesome. Yeah. But they took what should be an awesome dinosaur movie and turned it into a movie about a little girl that no, nobody cares about. Like, oh, I don't know. It's just, it was I mean, disappointing. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like the Fast series at this point, right? Like, how many more movies can they make? How many more plot twists can they throw into freaking car racing? You know what I mean? Y you know, we... Funny you mentioned that. We got out of the movie, <laughs> and that's immediately what Delbert and I said, was that that felt like a Fast and the Furious sequel. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Once again, not going to spoil anything, but pretty early in the movie, there was a sequence of events where I leaned over mid-movie and said, are we watching Jurassic Park or Fast and Furious? It nice. was just... It was disappointing, but that being said, if you want to go watch it, go watch it. However, there's better options out there, I would say. so. Go watch Top Gun. That's what you should watch. Top Gun, the new Doctor Strange. There's a few things you can watch that are an improvement upon this movie. And in fact, there's some debate about whether this movie was worse than Crimes of Grindelwald, I think. <laughs> um, wow. So there you go. That's my recommendation. I guess Delbert and I both are recommendations for the week. Uh, Baylor, do you have any recommendations or should we just jump right in? I don't know. I had one question, though, because I know that you guys went with one of our good friends who is a big dinosaur fan. What was yeah. his take on the movie? Oh, he gave it a 9 out of 10. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So we, if you're a dinosaur fanatic, perhaps you'll like it. <laughs> sure. 
Actually, what happened is he agreed that it was a not a good movie, but he gave it a 9 out of 10 anyways because dinosaurs. Ah, okay. That's fair. So, so maybe maybe you won't like it. There you go. It's like good entertainment. Like it's the entertainment budget. value is there. <clears throat> it's just the movie was bad. Yeah. I mean, I think if you throw enough money at a movie, it becomes watchable no matter how bad the story is. And this is a great example of that. Yeah. Like, I'll probably watch a rerun of it in a few years just to watch the action sequences. But it won't be for the story. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, moving on to more Harry Potter-related stuff, I do have one more recommendation, and that's to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. At the underscore RM podcast. Send us an email, remedialmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Give us a review on iTunes, on Spotify, on whatever podcast app you use, give us a review. And you know what? You owe it to us at this point. <laughs> if, you, so, if you've listened this long and haven't reviewed yet, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about you. You're the reverse of a super fan. It's true. You're the unsuper fan, and we don't like the unsuper <laughs> fans of the world. Um, <laughs> I'd argue Putin is a non super fan. Or unsuper fan. It's true. If you have listened to this podcast since the beginning and haven't given us a review, you're just as bad as Putin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yikes. At any rate, this week we're talking about chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Alexander Quick and the Lands Below. And I gotta tell you, I think it took, like... 15 chapters of book one to get to stuff that was really interesting to read. And these three chapters, I think, are really interesting to read. This whole uh, take on a secret society within Charmbridge is really cool, I think. Yeah, it's it's a different look. I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of like Dumbledore's army, but obviously they weren't practicing dark arts. So it's it's a very weird society. And then just like the the atmosphere around it, how secretive it is, and how far these students have gone, it's it's very interesting. I also really enjoy the magical artifacts, like even just the coin or the blood pen and stuff that we're going to talk about, or even the uh, Mayan cauldron. I can't remember what it was actually called. Something from Mayan culture, but it's cool to see that stuff introduced. It is. I really like this. And in fact, this conversation is really part one, kind of, of... A bigger conversation about the Moore's Mortis Society. We did these three chapters together because they're kind of like Alex's intro to the Moore's Mortis Society. Uh, they lead from the first meeting up to her being officially initiated into the club. But then the next four or five chapters after this also deal very heavily in this kind of pseudo dark arts realm. So this is I'm going to consider this part one of a bigger discussion about the Moore's Mortis Society. And it's just, all three of these chapters were bangers, man. They were awesome to read and really entertaining. So I'm excited to talk about them. Uh, Before we do that, we got to do a summary. And since you guys have already done a summary, I think it's my turn. So I'll summarize the events of these three chapters really quick. um, And then we'll jump right into the discussion. So... Chapter 6 of Alexander Quick in the Lands Below is called 
the Moore's Mortis Society. And at the beginning of this chapter, Alex is officially invited to the Moore's Mortis Society to see what it's all about. To get to the meeting, she receives a secret message on the coin that Charlie stole in chapter 5 that gives her directions how to get to this meeting. And when they get there, Alex has to sign using a blood pin an oath very similar to Dumbledore's army's oath saying that they swear to not out anybody in the society or talk about it under penalty of death. <laughs> so uh, that leads us to chapter seven where the first meeting begins and we meet some new characters who are the leaders of this society and they explain how it works uh, and also show off a very unique and frankly, kind of scary magical ritual that uh, the Moore's Mortis Society participates in. Alex leaves, goes back for a second meeting where she learns some new stuff, uh, gets in some arguments with this character, Maximilian King, that we've seen uh, many times before. He has some special interest in Alex. And then Alex heads to yet another meeting where she runs into Tomo Matsuzaka on the way. And then chapter 8, which is called Snakes in the Grass. This chapter also has to do with the Moore's Mortis Society. Alex goes to a couple of meetings, learns a couple of cool things, like a couple of new charms that we're going to talk about, as well as how to create something called a snake stone. And it basically ends with, it, with uh, a warning to everybody in the Moore's Mortis Society saying, real initiation is going to happen on Halloween. Let's see if you survive long enough to make it through that. And so that's kind of how these chapters play out. And I just wanted to start by echoing what you said, Baylor. This feels like Dumbledore's army, except for way cooler, way more interesting, I think. It makes me wonder how long the society's been a part of uh, Charmbridge, just given how much thought they put into keeping it a secret. Yeah, I wonder that too, because there seems to be some pretty rigid security protocols around this. But then also at the same time, if somebody wanted to leave during one of these meetings we're going to talk about, they were able to just leave. Like what's stopping them from talking? I guess the threat of death maybe from this oath that everybody swore. But this is really like Dumbledore's army, even down to the way they communicate with the members of the club, right? Very much so. So... It starts off with Alex understanding that she's officially invited to join this society, which she was invited at the end of the first book as well, but she didn't really pay much attention to it, especially not the way she's paying attention to it now. And while she's very intrigued, all of her friends are much more concerned about what's going to happen, especially because the coin talks about if it's stolen, then a thief's curse is placed upon you. And I thought this part was interesting because Alex isn't concerned since Charlie's the one who stole the coin. But everybody else says, no, wait a second. If your familiar draws a curse, then you get that curse too. I think that's an interesting way for magic to work here. True. Also surprises me that Harry is alive. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know if... <laughs> is Hedwig a familiar? Like... It's gotta be, right? 
like is it just a, a thing of semantics where the name of the pet is different in America than it is in the UK? Because Charlie seems much more a part of Alex than Hedwig ever did seem as a part of Harry. Do they not call it familiar in the original series? I guess I'm not sure. Maybe they do in the first book, like on the when Harry receives his letter. Yeah. It says you may bring a familiar and then yeah. list the types. But I don't know for sure. Baylor, do you know? Uh, I don't know if they said if they said that uh, specifically, but I know. I, I obviously Inverarty's expanded quite a bit on familiar and owner relationship, you know, relations in this in these uh, books. But like when Harry would get an when it would get an owl from uh, I almost said Hagrid would get an owl from Hedwig, uh, you know, Hedwig would nip him affectionately. I think was was the phrase that was used or. If Harry did something that would annoy Hedwig, he would ignore Harry, or she would ignore Harry. And so uh, there was definitely some extra emotions that you don't really see from a normal pet. So I would say it's probably similar, especially uh, just using like Dumbledore and Fox as a as an example. Like they definitely were something more than just a pet and an owner. Yeah, I agree with that completely, that Dumbledore and Fox clearly have a more special relationship than Harry and Hedwig. And I feel the same way about Alex and Charlie. And actually looking here at the Hogwarts letter that Harry received, it says students may also bring, if they desire, an owl or a cat or a toad. So it doesn't make any mention of familiars. And so I'm wondering if there's like a difference between going to a pet store to get an owl and going to a familiar store to get something like Charlie the Raven. I think that's an interesting consideration. Now, also in this beginning of this chapter, Darla and Angelique are not super thrilled with Alex. No, they are not. Why? I guess the question is why? What's their problem now? Well, we we find out later that um, that the S'mores Mortis Society is very secretive, right? And Alex is like showing off the coin to all her friends that she that she found. And I, I guess that my interpretation was they were annoyed because they were trying to get in this club and they've heard that secret and then Alex is just blabbing about it. I kind of think that too. I think that's, it's jealousy, I think, more than anything mm-hmm. else, even though they've been invited as well. Yeah. I think yeah. they felt like it was exclusive and now all of a sudden Alex is in it too. Yeah, I also think there might be some resentment still from Darla. Just general resentment, not even necessarily towards Alex from what happened with uh, the Stormcrow guy before the school year started. Where she was talking up how, oh, me and him are so close and we're probably going to be boyfriend-girlfriend. And then he just basically stops her in her tracks and calls her a child. Yeah. Yeah, and then Alex is receiving undue attention from a different one of the Stormcrows as well. So that also plays into it. Um, Yeah. Now, what about this coin? This coin is cool. So cool. It's so (laughs) cool the way it's used to communicate. You know, when the first meeting's about to happen, Alex looks at the coin because it tingles in her pocket or something. And it tells her, it says 12 o'clock, has the word Sabbath, and has like a glowing point on a new moon on it as well. And I just think this coin is so cool because not only is it saying, here's the time and the day, it literally is like a little map, like a little compass that shows you where to go. It like points your location in the castle 
and then gives you a little arrow that shows you where to go based on your location in the castle. Well, even more than that, too, right? Because when they're leaving, it tells them, like, different paths to take to get back to their dorm rooms. It's really neat. It's, like, way different than... It's, like, the same as the galleons they were using to communicate in Dumbledore's army, but on a much more advanced level. Yeah. Some pretty advanced magic, for sure. You know, something else I thought was interesting about the coin, but really about this society in general, is that Alex can't figure out the first clue. I don't know why she can't figure it out, but she can't figure it out, and so she has to resort to asking Darla and Angelique for help, which is a massive blow to her ego. I was kind of surprised she didn't find anything in the library. Yeah. Like, you'd think the library would have something in there about it. I thought that too, or just at least... I don't know. I guess that the thing is, is Alex wasn't being patient enough, right? Because later on, yeah, then an arrow appeared on the coin, pointing her in the right direction, like showing her where to go. Um, I do have a note here that while she's talking to Darla and Angelique about this, Honey, the ferret or whatever it is, is still the worst creature ever invented. Listen, okay, the Jarvie. Normally, yeah. I would defend. My Jarvie kind. But, uh, this one's pretty upsetting. <laughs> She's just, the Jarvie is just calling Angelique a fat ass. Essentially. Yeah. Like, it's not very kind. It's terrible. I hate it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how she can even want this thing around her still. There's got to be some kind of like weird sympathy going on. Like, she doesn't want to get rid of it because she feels like she's abandoning it or something. But I just don't, I'm kind of with you. I don't understand why anybody would want a pet Jarvie. It makes no sense. Yeah. One other thing, too, before we get past it, is uh, another part of that clue is talking about the Sabbath, because it's Sunday at midnight. Wasn't she just at Vacation Bible School, like, a couple months back? I was just thinking. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. That does get explained a little bit, though, because in the library she finds that the Sabbath could mean Sunday, or it could mean Saturday, or it could mean any other random day, depending on what belief system you're a part of. Right. But you're right. She did just get out of vacation Bible school, so you would think she would think Sabbath, Sunday. Right. Like. Instantly. Yeah. I would agree with that. Now, eventually the coin, like we've said, a little arrow pops up showing her location and pointing her the direction to go. And it takes her into the basement, which is interesting because the basement is a place that is off limits to the students right away. So you're already breaking a rule just by following this coin. But then secondly, when she gets to the meeting, there's quite a few familiar faces here, right? Darla and Angelique are there. Stuart and Torvald are there. Maximilian King is there, which is interesting because he's a Stormcrow and he's not even from this school. And you would think, since he's an officer in the J-Rock and everything else, he wouldn't want anything to do with this. And then also Tomo Matsuzaka is there. Which is also, I yeah, I think it's kind of concerning for Anna's life, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I'm Alex here and I see the crowd that has assembled for this meeting, I'm not sure if I'm sticking around. I'm not going to lie to you. I I understand completely. Maybe Alex is just trying to prove that she's better than them. And like, so she's there too. I actually, I got a different vibe from that is 
I kind of thought this was almost over-inclusive because it also talks later about how one of the hooded figures who's leading the uh, charge is uh, one of the Quidditch players. So, I mean, it seems like there's just people from all over. Popu I assume people that play Quidditch in sports are also popular in wizarding schools as they are in traditional schools. So, to me, I just kind of thought, you know, almost anyone could get here if they wanted to. It's interesting that you have to have a special invite. And, like, I wonder what the requirements of the invite really are. Because, obviously, Alex is going to get an invite because of who her father is. Everybody knows that. But, like... Why is Darla getting an invite? Why is Angelique getting an invite? Why is the person who plays Quidditch getting an invite? What did they do that makes them this society think that they might be that they might want to learn dark magic? You know? Do you want us to speculate? It's gotta be that you're just... <laughs> if you want to speculate, I'd say go for it because I honestly why what are the what do you have to do to get an invite to this place? Do you have to just hex somebody in the halls when you're walking by? Do you have to be planning something behind the scenes? Like, what's the deal? So my guess is that Stuart and Torvald got it because they're always hexing. So they're always practicing actual, you know, offensive magic. Um, I think Tomo got it because she had the gall very early on to cast a jinx on a older student than her. And Anna probably didn't get the invite. Because she didn't do anything to Tomo. She asked an older student to do it for her. Yeah, I mean... And then Darla and Angelique. I can't really explain Darla other than she seems to be from a prominent family. And Angelique, maybe because she's from Louisiana area? Like, voodoo yeah, area? Maybe? Maybe. It's just like... It's just interesting. And also, who's sending out these invites? We're about to find out that some of the leaders are people we've never heard of before and Alex has never seen before. You know, so it's like a it's like a weird side gig for these other students to be doing like scouting and researching students to see who would best fit in this in this club and whatever else. I I just think, you know, these older students probably just notice people and they're like, oh, that that person's kind of a loner or in Darla's case in Angelique, they're like, oh, they're kind of snotty, you know, like these these different people that aren't you know, quote, normal, I guess you could say. Maybe they're the ones that are, are targeted by the, the Moore's Mortis Society. Sure. There's got to be something. Maybe we'll find out going forward what the what the qualifications are of a member of the Moore's Mortis Society. But the meeting begins, right? Chapter 6 ends, Chapter 7 starts, and so does the first meeting of the Moore's Mortis Society. And it begins with the leader who's described as being kind of a tall boy with long hair, giving introductions to what this club is, and also at the same time saying that everything they're learning, not all of it's going to actually be dark magic. It's just stuff the Confederation doesn't want you to learn. So here we have that theme again of the Confederation deciding which magic is okay and which magic isn't, and the undercurrent of people rebelling against that, even within... Charmbridge and I wonder that made me wonder and you guys can tell me I'm crazy or whatever but that made me wonder if maybe this Moore's Mortis Society is bigger than a school thing at Charmbridge if there's something outside of the school directing this Moore's Mortis Society to uh, 
on how to operate because that view that the Confederation is limiting magic unnecessarily is also the view of the Thorn Circle as well as a few other things. I was actually just going to say that, I mean, the last time Alex heard something like that was from Ben Journey, and it turned out that he was a member of the Thorn Circle. So, I, I mean, I definitely wonder if, obviously we don't know because it's not written in the story, but if Alex is considering that at all, like, oh, these are the last, the, the guy who tried to kill me last year kind of thought along the same lines. Maybe I should be And careful. even along the same lines as that, maybe the other schools also have this club, and maybe this Maximilian King guy is in that club in a different school. So maybe that's why he got his invite. Oh, true. That's interesting to think about. That's one thing that I'm excited to find out going forward is because, I mean, I just, we never really understand how he was, how he got involved in these three chapters. Obviously I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we do find that out here in the future. Yeah. And I'm interested in that as well. Um, this first meeting is not, really a meeting so much as a demonstration of power i think because the leaders of the mors mortis society uh i think john manuelito and then sue fox proceed to go like perform this ritual that i think is suggestive of immense dark power personally they summon a demon from a different dimension or something like <laughs> they there's a painting on the wall right it's got it's like a Native American painting, and they start doing this weird incantation, and the painting begins to move, and then all of a sudden there's a shadow creature that just appears there, and then they banish it back to where it came from as like a show of this is what you can learn to do if you stay with us type of thing, and mm -hmm. that part was crazy, I think. It's insane. School kids are doing this. Yeah. In the basement of a school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely telling, you know, when they send it away or whatever, and in the words of Alex, like the, the older students that were leading the meeting looked relieved that it went away. Yeah, actually, even the people performing the ritual turned around and it said they looked triumphant, but also had a look of relief. Like this wasn't something they were fully yeah. in control of, which is freaking terrifying. It is, yes. And then that's kind of where the meeting ends. And I have this written down several places in the show notes because it happens a lot in these three chapters, this Maximilian guy, for whatever reason, decides he's going to scold Alex for being there. And then he does this again and again and again. So, Baylor, I wanted to ask you, is he doing this because he's her commanding officer in the J-Rock, or is there something else going on, you think? That's kind of what I was leaning towards earlier, because I just don't understand why he would be saying that to Alex, and then he is there himself. And I'm also curious because we've seen this Max guy. He's had an interest interest in, Al in Alex since their first visit to the Goblin Market this year. Like, he was the guy who was just focusing on Alex the entire time. We, we hadn't met him at, the point, at that point, but... And now, pretty much in every chapter, he's been mentioned as watching Alex or in some way affiliated with, with Alex. Obviously, now that she's in the J-Rock, I mean, he's, he's her commanding officer, but there's definitely something, I don't know if it's sinister in nature, but there's definitely something bigger happening than I think just a commanding officer. And I, I don't want to speculate too much because, I, you know, all my bold predictions have been wrong, but 
I could see this guy being some kind of informant for maybe Abraham Thorne. Um, I also believe in one of these chapters later on, the uh, scolding, she asks that very question, right? She says, why are you worried about me and not anyone else? And he basically comes back and says, well, none of the other people you mentioned are a good fit for the Moore's Mortis Society. So he's, like, worried that she's where she will thrive yeah. for some reason. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, that he responds <laughs> like that. Their relationship is strange, because like you're saying, Baylor, he has almost too much of an interest in her life. Like, he's always paying attention to what she's doing. And even after this meeting gets over, she's at a J-Rock meeting, and her and Anna are not performing up to his standards or whatever, and so he keeps them back to punish them. And his punishment for them is to put them through, especially Alex, through like a death-defying test that's more than any student her age should be should be able to perform, right? He takes them on some flying maneuvers, but his options for flying maneuvers are to fly at terrifying speeds through the forest. And it does end with Alex running headfirst into a tree and ending up in the infirmary. So this guy is like, it's got to be more than just he knows her through the J-Rock, right? Like, where's this special interest coming from? Yeah, Yeah. so also on that tree chase, Alex thinks that she saw his wand out right before she she, uh, hits the tree. And I'd like to push back to a prior episode where I said, you know, maybe uh, Abraham Thorne killed uh, Max's dad and he's trying to get some revenge. And this is the revenge now? I mean, maybe he doesn't want her getting stronger, or maybe he's actively trying to kill her. So then if that's the case, if he's trying to get revenge, why does he care if she's down messing with dangerous magic? Isn't that another chance for him to take her out? She might get more too powerful messing around with it, maybe. She might. He's a uh, he's an interesting hmm. character. In fact, he's so interesting and so prevalent that I think we should cast him. <laughs> <laughs> Good segue, good segue. Naturally. So, as Brady mentioned, our uh, casting for this w- or this uh, set of chapters will be Maximilian King, who is a handsome, broad-shouldered boy with straight, dark hair. Brady, you want to start us off? Sure. Uh, I, I heard handsome, broad-shouldered, and I decided I would go with Liam Hemsworth, specifically the version of Liam's Hem- Liam Hemsworth that plays Gale in The Hunger Games, uh, because back then he was a handsome, broad-shouldered boy, and now he's a handsome, broad-shouldered man. So um, I'm going with him. I think he fits the the look well. He's, like, tall and imposing. He has that dark hair, and he is extremely fit. Looks like somebody who could be in the military, which Maximilian King is. So Liam Hemsworth is my choice. Perfect. I just looked down at our notes. Yeah, that sounds good to and, me. And... Uh... I didn't write down my pick, but Baylor wrote down my pick. So, Baylor, why don't you go ahead and uh, shout it out, and I'll try to consider someone else. Oh, that? You, we picked yeah, the same Yeah, I just didn't That's write funny. it down, so <laughs> surprise. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I went with, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his last name, Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Ch- Chalamet. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet. Ch- yeah, Chalamet. There we go. Uh, he played, he was the main character in Dune. And uh, I just picked him because he looks he looks imposing, and I think he would fit this role really well, especially 
kind of in Dune, if I'm remembering correctly. It's been a couple, several months since I watched it, but uh, he was kind of more of like a emotionless, you know, imposing person, and he was very strong there at the end. So I think he'd fit the role of Maximilian King pretty well. Yeah, I actually agree with this. This is one of the people I considered as well. The only thing I didn't like about him is that he's a little bit scrawny. For the description, yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, a faster uh, Maximilian King. <laughs> so yeah, I think Timothy Chalamet is a good choice. And you know, in my 15 seconds of trying to come up with a new name, I couldn't quite do it. So I'm sticking with uh, Baylor and my pick for Timothy Chalamet. I agree, he's a little bit scrawny, but also. These are still like high school kids who don't have weight training classes or anything, so they they probably are a little bit scrawny, anyways. Yeah, sure. I mean, it he can fit the role, no problem. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, is that the first time we've had a double up? In this book, yes. In book one, we had a couple. Yeah, I, believe. I think we had a couple last. Sure. We had like Sam Regal. Yeah, we had a couple last, voice last book as well. Oh yes, yeah. Uh-huh. And I can't. I feel like we had a couple yeah. live actions that were the same too, but I don't remember. Delbert picked the same character to play two different actors in the last book. So, well, one of them, <laughs> or, one of them was a voice two, actor. The same actor to play two different. One characters. was a voice actor, and one was a live actor. Yeah, that's true. We'll get Mark Hamill in here yet. So, so first, first double up of this book, at any rate, and so that's how we view Maximilian King. And I think, actually, from Dune, Timothy Chalamet does play the part of like a, a have a role in the military as well almost so, that exact look like yeah just a couple years age down maybe like that look is perfect i would agree uh so yeah we've casted him now and i just wanted to talk a little bit more about him because also in chapter seven after he causes alex to get hurt whether by accident or by using his wand he gets severely reprimanded by shirtliff in fact to the point where she pulls rank from him. She drops him a rank in the J-Rock because of his actions. And I think that that is awesome, frankly. This is one of the times in this book where we see an adult take adequate measures to punish a student, right? He probably could have gotten Alex killed here, most likely, right? Because if she runs headfirst into a tree at high speeds, and I think Shirtliff saying, well, then you don't deserve the rank you've been given. I think that's a fair thing for her to say. Well, I think that's the whole point of why the young, you know, the officers, the student officers aren't allowed to to do broom drills is because it's probably very dangerous. Yeah, I agree. And I also think it's interesting that she pulls rank from him. I wonder if that sticks when he goes back to his, back to the Blacksburg Majory Institute. Like, I guess she's his commanding officer here, but is that going to be recognized when he returns wherever he's going? I guess I'm not sure. Like, when I look at J-Rock, I'm thinking, like, ROTC? Yeah. Uh, Do they even have a official rank? Are ROTC members in high schools and even colleges ranked higher than each other? It's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. They are in the J-Rock, but I don't know how that translates, you know? So. Another another thing I wanted to mention about Shirtliff, um, Alex... I mean, obviously, Max is very hard on Alex and Anna. Um, and another cool thing about Shirtliff is she she takes notice of his more his like um, selfish treatment towards Alex and Anna. And so that'll be interesting if that turns into anything going forward. 
but I just wanted to point that out because I, I respected Shirtlift for taking notice and hopefully maybe doing something in the future. Yeah, I like Shirtlift. I'm, I said early on that I hope that she takes the mantle up as the uh, like helpful teacher now that Ben Journey isn't on the premises. And she seems to be doing that at least behind the scenes. Yeah. Right. And she just, uh, the way Shirtlift treats all the students, I think, has been the most fair of anybody we've seen so far. She seems like the the teacher that's respected because she's so fair to me. Uh, after Alex gets out of the infirmary, she heads straight to another Mors Mortis Society meeting. And this time the meeting's outside, which I think is interesting. They're changing locations. And I would think, it almost strikes me that outside would be much more dangerous in terms of getting caught than down in the basement of the school. But... On her way there, she runs into Tomo, and she threatens Tomo, and I think we get a little insight into Alex's motivation for staying in this society here, because she basically says, I'm here too, and I know what you're learning, which means if you do anything to Anna, I'm coming for you. And yeah. Right. It's probably not Alex's only motivation for staying, but it's a big one, right? I'm guessing she wants to protect Anna from Tomo here. I think it's also a good character moment, too. Because she's she's clearly doing this not just to threaten Tomo. Like, she she had let that be bygone at this point. It's to protect Anna. And we didn't really talk about it, but her and Anna at the start of these chapters are kind of on the outs. Because Alex gets angry with Anna complaining about J-Rock when she's the reason that Alex even had to be a part of it. That's true, actually. Yeah, the one thing we haven't touched on is how their friendship is a little strained at the moment because Anna got Alex in trouble and instead of dealing with it is just complaining about her situation to Alex and Alex is just saying like hey I'm here because of you pal like why are you making this into such a big thing to me yeah so like I said it's just nice that even though there's that strain there and they're kind of like not the closest right now that she still cares about her friend yeah I agree a hundred percent yeah another thing to note there too is before they kind of before she said you know stop crying and you'll do better or whatever uh, she actually was trying to like contain that those feelings like she was trying to you know help her friend out but then so i just thought it was cool that she was at least showing some self-control about the um you know her scolding or whatever i guess um also another note brady i think you're you're one meeting ahead this this one is actually up in the attic this uh this meeting well i think and then the next one i think what happened is we skipped an entire meeting there's a meeting up in the attic that happens prior to maximilian taking them on that on the broom drills and then after the broom drills happen the next meeting is the one outside no actually you're right baylor this is the one where they're up in the attic that's where she meets Tomo and this meeting is crazy also like everything that happens at these meetings seems to be crazy and I don't know if they're doing crazy stuff to intimidate the kids that the new people right away or if this is just how it goes but at this one they bring out this Mayan like brazier thing and they light it on fire or they light a fire within it and then each person is required to go up and 
give themselves horrible, <laughs> maiming third-degree burns in order to see a vision of the future somehow. And I think this is definitely, like, part real and part hazing, right? Like, this is a, if you're going to be committed, you got to be willing to do this kind of thing to yourself. Yeah, definitely. Especially given the fact that the burns that are there that are given to them aren't normal burns. Like they can't go to the the hospital wing. They can't, you know, they have to just deal with it on their by themselves. Yeah, because they're dark magic burns, and if they go talk to the healer, they'll know. Do you think that's true? Yeah, maybe that it's dark magic, or do you think they're just trying to protect the secrets of the society? I would guess it's probably the secret part because uh, the healers will find out that they're dark magic burns and know, know something weird's going on. But I also wonder, like, if like a magical injury, uh, if I remember right from the original Harry Potter series, we know they don't heal the same as normal injuries. And so, like, if this is a magical burn, then, you know, the burn cream and whatever else that they would put on probably wouldn't work anyways. Yeah, it's interesting this whole process, and it is, I think it's also designed to weed weak people out of the club as well. Because what we see is, we see some people successfully complete the the ritual, putting their hand over the fire and having a vision. But we also see other people who are too scared to put their hands in the fire. Or they do it, but they don't commit, so they don't see anything and they have to make something up. And every time this happens... Mm-hmm. That person is asked to leave, right? They're not strong enough for the society. Yep. And we even see this happen to Angelique. So we see maybe for the first time in these books, a fracture between Darla and Angelique because Darla is able to complete this ritual successfully and Angelique doesn't even attempt it. She's too scared and she quits the society right there. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely agree with you. I do think it's hazing and, and yeah, Angelique quitting is, is an interesting turn. I didn't think that they would ever be separated. I also, not in the Darla Angelique thing, think it's interesting what we hear coming out of the students that are successful. Because there's one student that says, I saw a grim. There's another student who says, there will be a big snowstorm next month. Winter will come early, to which he's told to leave the club for lying. Um, and then we get to Darla and she shouts out after successfully doing it, something about her sister. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it makes you wonder if this thing delivers bad news, you know? Yeah. That's, that's what I was just, that's what I was just wondering if it, if it tells, instead of telling the future, it tells like what your greatest fear is or what the worst possible outcome would be. It's like the opposite of the mirror of error said. Yeah. Alex uh, keeps her hand over the fire for so long that by the time she's done, it says her skin is bubbling. And uh, gosh, dang, I can't even imagine the pain. But interestingly enough, her vision is of the wall where at the first meeting, the the Jebei was summoned, the demon was summoned. And so I don't know what that says. Does that say that Alex has... Some sort of fate intertwined with that wall, or what? Well, the, the that wall opens up to the lands below, right? Like, that's um, what that portal is? Yeah, according to the leaders of the uh, Mors Mortis Society, 
Did they say lands below or lands beyond for the Chabay? Pretty sure they say lands below. Let me... I'll go check, but yeah, you guys can... In fact, it is lands below because I made note that this is the first time the title of the book is mentioned. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say it probably, you know, there's going to be some interaction with that wall, I'm guessing. Because that's probably how Alex gets into the lands below. Unfortunately, I don't think that uh, Death Valley is as black as space. So <laughs> I, I think my prediction from last last uh, season was incorrect, but we'll see. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think her, her vision is terrifying because it almost seems as if something is falling into the portal. Like not her, but like a friend or something else. And so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see if that comes to fruition. It will be interesting. And now this isn't the only thing they get at this meeting, right? Because they also learn... They also learn uh, how to hide this burn that they all have on their hands by being taught a spell that at first seems innocent in the ability to relocate your wound so you can hide it on your body or something. But then as it's explained, it turns out is extremely dark where you can have a horrible burn or a a wound of some kind, and not only can you relocate it to somewhere else on your body, you can relocate it onto someone else entirely. So, when they said they were going to learn some dark stuff, they were not kidding around, because that is extremely dark. The other thing, too, is they talk about how we're going to be learning dark magic, but it's not all necessarily dark, just because that's what the Confederation says. Summoning demons, burning your skin to see the future and relocating wounds to other people, I would say are all rightfully banned by the Confederation. <laughs> right. Those all seem extremely dark. <laughs> yeah, and my, my greatest concern, kind of what Max said the first interaction he had with Alex saying, don't be in this club, is I, I, I do think these kids are in over their head. And if, if the other teachers are correct, where this kind of magic is very unstable, I could see this going very badly in the future. Sure. I mean, I think you're right when you say that there's a good chance we've got a lot of teenagers here who don't quite understand what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. The other cool spell that they learn here, which I actually think is more interesting, just for purposes of sneaking around the school, is a spell called Pictogel, where you just cast it on a portrait and it freezes them for a few seconds so you can sneak past. I think that's cool. That's a really unique yeah, that's... little spell. It's like a Fred and George spell. Hilariously, that that girl who who cast it just had a picture of her uncle in her in her bag, yeah. and I guess has <laughs> just been carrying him around and and doing this to show off or something, because he was yeah. definitely pissed when she pulled him out. He was. He was like telling everybody to stay away from her because she's the dark sorceress of the world and all this stuff. It's hilarious. Yeah. I also like that they point out, don't even try to use this on Miss Marmsley for some reason. I was going to point that out, too. There must be some extra magic protecting Marmsley's portrait, right? There's got to be. She's she's special. She <laughs> is. She's everybody's favorite. Uh, okay, so now we can move on to the meeting that happens outside. As we're drawing close to the end of Chapter 8, there is a meeting... It's outside, and when they get there, there's a twisted, tangled mass of snakes 
all around this object and we come to find out that it's a snake stone and while again snakes are not inherently dark if you're saying we're not practicing dark magic why are you creating something that summons the symbol that everybody associates with dark magic true what did you guys think of the process to make a snake stone cool very cool but once again four for four on things they're teaching that probably should be banned <laughs> it's pretty brutal yeah all all i'm thinking is the u.s fish and game service probably wouldn't agree with that process shoving a stone yeah. down a snake's throat and having it die of of probably internal bleeding and hunger and whatever else that's another part <laughs> is they say that you can transfer this spell to scorpions or spiders how do you shove a stone down a spider's throat oh you should find an acromantula <laughs> like an Aragog-sized spider and stuff a stone in its mouth? Summon some acromantulas yeah, to school, huh? no problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, the way to make a snake stone, first of all, it's just cruel. Agreed. You just take a live snake and stuff a stone down its mouth. But then secondly, yes, we shouldn't be allowing children to kill snakes willy-nilly. That's how we get serial killers. You know? That was my thought originally when I read that. Is I was like, isn't this literally what sociopaths and serial killers exactly. tend to do in their childhood? I think it's interesting that Darla... and Darla was the one here who was too scared to do anything. But rather than kicking her out of the club, the guy made the snake stone and then gave it to Darla to say, like, here, prove yourself. Yeah. He did tell her to tie a raptor's feather around it so it wouldn't draw snakes. But can you imagine if she couldn't find a raptor's feather for some reason? Yeah, also, does that mean raptors are alive? Like. Raptor, like bird of prey. Oh! Yeah. Oh, I read this as the dinosaur. I guess it was no, no. because of the uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> I was like, huh. guess that's cool. Also, you know what? I'm kind of pissed at Darla here because after all the grief she gave Alex about running her mouth about the club and stuff, she doesn't ask Alex for one of Charlie's feathers. She goes and asks Anna, who's not involved at all, for her one of her owl's feathers. And so now Anna knows something weird is going on. In fact, she brings it up to Alex later on. Right? Like, what is Darla thinking here? I was surprised she didn't go to David because he actually he has an actual bird of prey. He does. I mean, an owl, an owl counts as well, but come on, like, what in the world is she doing? She's definitely reaching outside yeah. the circle when she shouldn't be. I don't know. I, I think there'll definitely be a meeting between Anna and Alex, an explosive meeting probably uh, coming up in the next few chapters because Anna has definitely been growing more and more curious as these chapters have gone on about what they're doing. Right, and rightfully so. Alex yeah. is oh, lying yeah. again, you know? Alex is doing the things she said she wouldn't do anymore. It sounds like a broken record, but one more meeting happens. Another one, an additional one. So we got, what did we get? Four meetings in this three chapter segment? Yep. And at this one, Darla is now the cock of the walk. You know, she's all sorts of happy that she has her snake stone with her. And they use her snake stone to summon a, a mass of snakes again. Uh... But they're summoning them through a spell, and it's a spell that we've actually seen before. It's a spell we've seen in the second book of a different series before. It's Serpent Sorcia. 
right? It's the same spell that Draco Malfoy uses at the dueling club against Harry. And so, again, trying to give benefit of the doubt. They're saying they don't teach dark magic. What is this if not dark magic? It's pretty dark magic, man. I don't know. I don't know what they're yeah. trying to get away with saying, oh, you know, not all magic is bad. It's just not what the country wants. And then they just kill snakes for fun. Exactly, yeah. Burn their hands to a crisp. Like, listen, I'm oh, not I'm saying wondering. that I'm on the side of the Confederation at this point, but I am leaning that way. I'm not on the side of these kids, that's for sure. Yeah. All I'm wondering is who organized this meeting because it has gone all over the place. This is the only two meetings that have ran together. <laughs> They're doing yeah, all, it's kinds true. Of, all kinds of crazy stuff. I really think the first two were like shock and awe. Like, here's what we can do. Can you handle it? And now they're starting to teach them actual stuff. Right. Yeah. That was my take as well. But either way, the most important thing that comes out of chapter eight is that Alex learns that in order to learn real dark magic, even though we've already seen some pretty bad stuff, she has to complete her initiation, which will happen on Halloween. And Halloween is soon. So it's exciting to think what that might be. Uh, what she's going to have to go through. Um, and if she'll even stick with it. That's an interesting thing to think about as well. Because we know that she can be swayed by her friends. And her friends, if they find out, are not going to be pleased that she's doing this stuff. Right. One more thing to note there at the end of Chapter 8 is that there's a massive ball of snakes. And they kill it by blasting it with a fireball. Yeah, just murder a bunch of and, innocent creatures. And no <laughs> yeah. one cares. And, and Alex... Alex says, well, you don't have to kill him. And then everyone looks at her like, are you, are you dumb? Like, of course we do. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. Again, it's back to that whole thing of like, this is the behavior of sociopaths a little bit. Right. Like we can just kill things because they're lower than us or whatever. It's weird to me though, that nobody cares besides Alex. Like even Max and all these other people that are there, not just the ones that run the meetings. They just see all the snakes burned to death and they're like, yeah. Whatever. It's like a weird balance of na- naivety, I think. Like, Alex is naive at this point, still. Even though she's, like, not necessarily innocent, she's innocent enough to say, why do we have to kill the snakes? They'll be fine, just let them go. And I think everybody else is, like, understanding if we let them go, we're going to arouse suspicion. Yeah, but you know it, what I mean? it's not only that, right? Like, it just seems like the wizarding world does not have a lot of care for animals. Yeah. Because even in book one... She's a little bit uh, upset about having to transfigure a mouse. And when she says that, the teacher's like, oh, don't worry, we have a bunch of them. Yeah. Like, that is a good point. Maybe that's the, the secret undercurrent of this whole series is that wizards don't care about animal rights. Maybe. They sure <laughs> don't care about house elves. No, they don't. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the end of the three chapters. Pretty interesting three chapters, I think, overall. Yeah, very exciting stuff. Very dark stuff. And it's interesting to see magic that's different from what we had seen in the original series. I know in Crimes of Grindelwald, specifically, we see that strange scene where um, Johnny Depp is, like, blowing into a skull and can see, like, future images and even portray them. Yeah. But we haven't seen anything like that outside of the Fantastic Beast series, right? Like, we see Dumbledore now... With the spoilers, I guess, creating a sand sculpture 
But even that is not quite as strange as all of this stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, this is like divination kind of, right? Yeah. But seemingly more effective because you can control when you get visions and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess Goblet of Fire maybe with the spell that or the potion that just brings back Voldemort is very strange. Yeah. But I feel like most magic we've seen in the original series is, you know, wand work or a potion. Right. I'm thrilled to get into more ritualistic magic if yeah, we can. it's cool. Well, I mean, another thing, you know, once again, I said this in the first book when Ben Journey was shot at me, and it very, you know, it described the scene very well. Like, when these snakes were killed by the fireball, I mean, it explained, like, the snakes hissed as if they were screaming, and then they smelled burning flesh, and then they were turned into ash, you know? So it's like, it's it's because it's not for the general public or I, I not PG, you know, it's, it's a higher, higher level on that. I mean, I, it's really cool that we're able to get more detail about what's going on. That's my opinion of it. So I, I really enjoyed these. I really enjoyed these three chapters. I thought that they were really great. Probably the best that I've read, uh, in, in both books thus far, I would say. I agree. Actually, I was going to say, I thought they were the best set of three chapters that there's been so far. And the exciting thing is that it's going to continue Right? Because, like we said earlier, there's more and more more society society to come. And, like, the next four chapters, we're going to lump them all together and talk about the more and more to society still. And I think that's going to be really fun to talk about. But, to wrap this up, we need to decide who the MVP of the arc is. There's a couple new characters to consider as well. Baylor, who did you say was the MVP? So I actually didn't go with a new character. Um, I actually went with Darla again. And this one was actually for, I think, a legitimate reason. Uh, I know the first time I did it, I kind of was joking around because she was humbled and kind of I made fun of her a lot. But my bad, Darla. That's on me. But this one's actually for real. And the reason why is because she was left alone to fend for herself for seemingly the first time in the series uh, after Angelique left the Moore's Mortis Society. And then when she was challenged with the snake stone, like, you know, prove yourself, everybody, I think, didn't think she could do it, including Alex. Um, and she stepped up to the plate and crushed it. And I, I don't know. I, I think I think I'm excited because we're gonna her character is gonna develop more and she won't be such a dingo going forward. Yeah, I think you're not off base with that statement. I could see how she would be the MVP just for the Snake Stone stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think maybe a friendship, you know, their friendship will grow now that Angelique's not in the club, if they do stay in the club. Which, I don't know, I don't mind that. Darla's a very interesting person. It does provide that opportunity. Delbert, who was your ARC MVP? Surprisingly, you didn't take the obvious one this time by making the document first and making me settle for less. So (laughs) I will go with Maximilian King. He was featured pretty prominently throughout all three chapters. He's the reason Alex got injured. And he has a uh, possibly perverted interest in Alex, according to her. So (laughs) She, she calls him and his friend perverts, so... He did drive a lot of the most annoying parts of these chapters. I'll give you that much. So I had him. I had in my notes that he has replaced Larry Albo for the book's ass. 
Kind of. So yeah. far, I would yeah. agree. Yep. All right. My ARC MVP is one of the two leaders of the Moore's Mortis Society, John Manuelito. And the reason I picked Mr. Manuelito is because it takes some serious nerves to take a knife, gouge your own hand, and use your own blood to summon a demon. And so that's why I picked him, because he did that. It's pretty crazy, man. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> it's hardcore. It's pretty intense. It's like that scene in movie form is an R-rated scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's that intense, so well, that was my pick. See... We even see later in chapter eight when they're doing the the goblet uh, meeting where they're you know they're burning their hands, like that one girl uh, I can't remember her name now, but she you know was the first to hold her hand over the over the goblet and or over the cup whatever it is, and um like she was super hesitant, but uh, Manuelito here and when he just cut his hand, it was like just a you know didn't even didn't didn't even hesitate at all. Yeah, it was a business it, decision. When he did it. Uh, what about naming the Ark? I'm going to go first because my name is terrible. I decided to name this entire Ark Mors Mortis. So the first chapter's title, essentially. I kind of did want to just call it the <laughs> Mors Mortis Society, but I decided I'd get a little artsy with it and just call it mm-hmm. Mors Mortis. <laughs> I mean, it is, uh, you know, the safe play, but I think it hits home. I mean, that's that's the focus of the three chapters. So nicely done. Yeah, I mean, and it just stands for death, right? Mors Mortis just stands for death, so uh, it's an ominous title for sure. Yeah, it'd be kind of a cool name for a movie. True. Yeah, with lots of death. With lots of death for sure. <laughs> Perhaps an episode of the Teletubbies. Ah, nice. Nice. <laughs> okay, Baylor, what's your what's your name for this uh, for this arc? So I contemplated quite a few. I don't know. My I don't think mine's that great either, but I went with the Hazing Club. Okay. And I, I just think a lot of this stuff, you know, they're like proving themselves, which is basically hazing. So I don't know. We'll see what wouldn't happens be, going forward. <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if all this stuff was fake and it was just an excuse for the older kids to pick on new people? <laughs> like. I don't know. Never mind. That probably wouldn't be that funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wouldn't be funny, but it'd be an interesting twist by Inverarty. Yeah, it would. Okay, Delbert. <laughs> All right. I'd like to go out on a limb here. And I want the title The Dark Arts, but I'm willing to also pre-name the next episode's title, considering what we have been believed to is coming up. Uh, sure. The darker arts. Okay, nice. Yeah. The dark oh, wow. arts. I feel like the it's darker a good arts. combo of one, two. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Are you, you're going to lock that in now. Yeah. Even if it doesn't fit at all. We can revisit it, but I'll lock it in if that's what you want. Okay. <laughs> so, mine was Moore's Mortis. Baylor's was the Hazing Club. Delbert's was the dark arts. With the caveat that he's naming next week's set of chapters the darker arts yeah that's fun yeah does that mean you think something worse is going to happen well since they're like initiates here and they're saying you'll finally join at halloween i would assume so right yeah i think so i agree all right so we've done an arc mvp we've named it we've casted maximilian king which means 
Baylor, I think the only thing left is for you to make a prediction and for us to grade your prediction from last week. So if you would remind us what that prediction was. So firstly, Alex will have to deal with the thief's curse thing. And I also think that the thief's curse won't be on her. I think it'll be on Charlie because he's the one who actually stole the coin. But she will have to go to the Moresmore Society and confront them and uh, probably go through their induction ceremony, you know, their induction process. But I don't think she'll join the society at this time, just based on what you said, Delbert. Uh, I think that Maximilian King will come out as an enemy of Alex and will attempt to threaten to get her kicked out of J-Rock and potentially get kicked out of school. And then I also think someone who Alex has trusted, who has become, a, who trusts now or will be, will start to trust in the, in chapter uh, six or seven, will become a traitor in chapter eight. Okay, I had forgotten how complicated this one was. Yeah, a lot to it. Very complex. Uh, I would say that the part about the thieves' curse, nothing happened, right? We haven't heard anything about it. Okay. So I'm just going to, in my mind, brush that one off the table. Right. Like it didn't Perfect. exist. Like it didn't even happen. Sounds good to me. Alex did start going through the induction process for the Moore's Mortis Society. We have yet to determine if she's going to remain inside of it or not. It seems like she is, but we don't know yet. Uh, would you say Maximilian King has made himself an enemy of Alex? I wouldn't say like a I'm gonna kill you type of enemy. I don't think but he's outed himself as one. Like he's just acting kind of against her. It yeah, seems like. he acts against her, but we I guess we don't know whether it's for good or for bad. Yeah, yeah. And then again, the last part where you said she's gonna start to trust somebody that's gonna then turn against her. We can't really grade that. You know what I mean? Like we can't grade that yet for sure. Well, Did she start trusting somebody new in this set of three chapters? That That's a question for Baylor, I think. Yeah. Who, do you there... think she started trusting somebody new? The only the only thing I could think of is, is uh, Darla, but she didn't really, like there wasn't specific mention of it. And I will say the only reason I said that sentence was because the last chapter was called Snakes in the Grass. So I was like, thought it was a play on words, you know. Um, but yeah. I, I wouldn't say that she was betrayed by someone or trusted someone new in this chapter. Or was betrayed by someone she previously trusted either. Okay, I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm uh, slightly more than lukewarm on this prediction. Oh, I'm like heading towards cold. I'm like at a six. Oh, okay. Out of ten for huh. this one. Not considering the beginning statement and knowing that I'm putting a pause on grading the ending statement until we see if that occurs. I was at like a three or a four. The middle part for me, six out of ten. The only part that happened was she started attending meetings. You're right. I mean, you might be looking at Maximilian King differently than me. Yeah. He's not like an enemy like Voldemort was to Harry. You think he's either the villain or currently the anti-hero. But he's currently the antagonist, in my opinion. Yeah. He's currently the the opposing force to Alex. 
I think. If I if I may, I think he is the Larry Albo from the first book thus far, like I said, which it was an enemy, in my opinion, at the I beginning. I guess of the I book. would categorize Larry as an enemy throughout the first book. I actually do think that right now Maximilian's filling the same role, just in a different way. He's not like trying to get Alex in trouble. He's just hating on her at every opportunity. Yeah, so I'll give him a four just because the only thing that really was predicted was the uh, attending the meetings. Sure. We don't know whether That's she's going to quit. We don't know whether Max is actually a bad guy or like actually working against what's best for Alex. It's against what she's doing right now. But we know Alex is prone to getting in trouble, so maybe he's just trying to prevent that. I think that's fair. I'm like, I just think in this set of chapters, he was the antagonist. And so that's why I am grading a little bit more easily than you, I think. Fair. But either way, a six and a four, that sounds pretty good. Baylor, you need to make a prediction for next week's episode. Uh, as always... I will tell you the chapter names, and you can ask us each a question. So, next week we're doing chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12. Big section. <laughs> chapter 9 is called Halloween. Chapter 10 is called Dark Arts. Chapter 11 is called Familiars, and chapter 12 is called Crucio. What questions do you have for us? Okay. So... Brady, I'm going to ask you, what does the Moore's Mortis Society initiation entail? Well, Alex has to go into the woods and face her greatest fears. Interesting. Her greatest fear. Hmm. So the hodag. So the hodag. <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah. it's time. The journey is riding the hodag <laughs> through the woods. <laughs> or just Ben Journey's reinvigorated corpse no i'm just kidding for um, us it would just be archie standing in the woods <laughs> true <laughs> uh delbert what does our uh knowing the last chapter is called crucio does dean Grimm cast crucio well you see no <laughs> ah okay okay so for my prediction hmm Okay, so I think Alex will go through the Moore's Mortis Society initiation over Halloween because that's what they've been talking about for a long time. From Brady's answer, we know that they will go into the forest and face their greatest fear, and I think Alex's biggest fear is losing a friend. And so I think the challenge will be similar to the second Goblet of Fire challenge where they had to recover a friend, specifically for Alex probably. And then uh, I just think the the middle two chapters that I think she'll stay in the the Moors and Mortis Society, and I think the middle two chapters are just a buildup of the of the challenges because they said you know initiation isn't everything there'll be more to it after, and so I think it'll be a buildup there, and then the um, finale will be they have to cast Crucio on a close friend. Okay. That's interesting. That would be quite the quite the final challenge. So. It's a little tough. Yeah. Don't you have to hate for that one, or is that only for the killing curse? Well, I think you have to hate for Crusoe to be effective. I see. 
but to cast it, yeah. you can. It's like Harry casted it without true hatred. It still happened. It just wasn't as effective. I see. Well, there you go. There's the prediction for next week's episode. I'm excited to see just how accurate it is. Uh, Chapters ten and twelve really support my darker arts title. It's true. <laughs> Since one is called dark arts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll get into that next week. Uh, do you guys have anything else to finish off with? I do not. I'll take the silence as a resounding no. (laughs) You're going to have pulled pork. I don't know what I'm going to eat tonight. That's a good question. At any rate, uh, that's the end of the episode. Make sure to follow us on social media and give us a review. I've been Brady. I've been Delbert. I've been Baylor. We'll see you next Sunday, and good night.